hey everybody we appreciate you uh sitting through the hiatus here while we got our lives back together and in order and am not quite as busy as we used to be full disclosure we actually recorded this episode probably the second week of march so about six weeks ago so if some of what we're saying sounds a little outdated you guys know now in advance enjoy the episode the big beat manifesto goes big beats are the best to get high all the time right at the time it felt like a much more all-encompassing philosophy this is outrageous. This is contagious. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Oh, you cretin! You're a fuckhead! That's what you are! A fucking shithead! It was a joke, Mark. I was joking. It was a Christmas joke. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the L Dude Brothers podcast. We're doing episode five today, and I'm your liquor captain, Lee. And I'm your shit captain, Sean. And today we're going to be talking about episode 5 of Peep Show of season 1, which is called Dream Job. And uh, first of all, apologies to everybody for the little hiatus that we took there. Uh, a lot of stuff going on for both of us in real life, and uh, it's just kind of been difficult to get together and actually record. Yeah, unfortunately, unfortunately things have just been busy between us. Uh, work, school, work and school, kids, you know, yeah. everything's just been crazy. Yeah, so uh, we appreciate everybody's patience and hope you enjoy this episode and hope hopefully it makes up for it. But we have had a lot of exciting stuff happening. Like MLB start their regular season finally, so they're done with spring training and uh, just moving on to the actual season, which is always one of my favorite times of the year. Yeah, me too. The Royals Royals kind of stumbled out of the gate a little bit, but uh, um, I'm sh- you know, great thing about baseball is that losing three games at the start won't really matter in June. No, absolutely not. And, you know, we talk a lot about British TV on the podcast, obviously. It's a British TV show, but we talk about other shows as well. Uh, but I want to take a second and just acknowledge Canadian TV and Trailer Park Boys putting Season 11 up on Netflix. I didn't know I needed Season 11 of Trailer Park Boys, but when I was done with it, I was glad that it happened. I mean, it was just, it was so good. A lot of really classic episodes. And one of my favorite seasons in general. Yeah, it's definitely been the best of the Netflix seasons. Absolutely. So if you're a fan of the show and you have you weren't aware or you haven't watched it yet, definitely uh, pop on over to Netflix and give that a view. But uh, for now, we'll just talk about this episode. Again, it's Dream Job, Season 1, Episode 5, which originally aired on October 17th of 2003. Once again, yeah. we're... Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, yeah, it's, it's amazing to me to think about uh, the world the changes in this world since 2003 to 2017 just in general it's crazy i mean like you'd think about back in 2003 i mean we were involved in a war in the middle east yeah Hmm. mark would be elated for brexit yeah definitely but uh, i actually think david mitchell has made comment about that on qi and some other shows but uh, again this one's written by armstrong and bain like the other episodes and uh, this week we're gonna have our plot plot death count is down to one uh I'm so excited. Oh, I'm sorry to interrupt. I'm so excited for the end of Plip Plop and the start of Flagpole Sitta by Harvey Danger. I I never thought that I would be excited to hear Harvey Danger, but I definitely am in this case. Every time I hear Flagpole Sitta, no matter what the context is, I always just instantly think of Peep Show. Yeah, definitely. Uh, But we'll go ahead and just kick this one off. We have Mark at JLB just kind of standing around in a hallway in front of what looks like a conference room. Yeah, there's Barbara the racist and another woman in there, and they are 
interviewing Jeff Healy for a manager position, a position that Mark also applied for. Of course, Jeff is there trying to sabotage Mark, but luckily we have Sophie coming into the scene, and she kind of tries to calm Mark down a little bit, which never really works with Mark because I don't think he can or is capable of relaxing whatsoever. Yeah, Mark is really in a panic here. He's talking about how he wishes he had ironed his tie, and he's just generally being neurotic about everything. T- typical Mark for sure, but Mark just... Uh... You know, he, he's, he's definitely very nervous, but Sophie tries to calm him down by actually giving him a good luck kiss, which they, Mark didn't really make too much of a mention of, but I can only imagine how excited he was for that. Yeah, he, he seemed pretty excited, uh, or not excited, but like relaxed by the kiss. Yeah, it was definitely the most effective thing, and uh, they discussed their plans. I guess they're, uh, they were going to play badminton on Wednesday. And it's at that point that Jeff comes out with that shitty Jeff smile coming out of the conference room. Yeah, but uh, it doesn't matter because Mark has planned to shit all over Jeff by being relaxed. Absolutely. And so we next scene we have Jeremy and his storyline kicking off with Super Hands at Studio One Two Three. And uh, Jeremy walks in. He's wearing one of those weird cold weather hats with the little ear flaps. It was kind of strange. Yeah, uh, real quick, I just wanted to inter- to interject something that this this episode has an amazing title with Dream Job, with both characters kind of pursuing their, you know, what they they think anyways their dream job is. In Jeremy's case, he doesn't really know what his dream job is, but he thinks that the job they're getting is way cooler than it actually is. And then in Mark's case, you have him actually, you know, applying for his actual dream job. I just think it's funny how the two stories kind of compare and contrast to each other. It is. And I think that's one of the things that makes this episode really good because we had talked about it before we went on. And, you know, I think this is an episode that we both kind of forgot about. Yeah. I definitely forgotten how funny this episode, this episode is, um, the lot of very good monologues in, in season one and, um, a lot of real funny scenes with both characters, just making decisions for their future in, the best way that they think to do absolutely and in this case uh like i said jeremy's dream job is apparently a, a secretary job at this recording studio that Superhands got him jeremy doesn't really understand though that this job isn't going to lead him to recording actual music yeah and Superhands, Superhands gets it and the kind of interactions between Superhands and Jeremy in this in one two three in studio one two three are really funny where usually it's Jeremy playing the straight man to Superhands's kind of like manic chaotic personality but in this case it is a complete role reversal with Superhands playing the straight man to Jeremy's kind of like crazy whacked out excited persona yeah and jeremy actually just directly makes mention that he's you know okay we're gonna shake some shit up or you know what are we doing here and uh you know superhands just kind of responds by saying you know best way to get noticed here is to pick up a four-piner on the way in and ask ron if he wants a latte very sterile corporate sort of stuff yeah i love i love corporate superhands and he corporate superhands appears a couple times and then (laughs) As they're sitting down, Jeremy takes off his little hat with the ear flaps, and we see what the ear flap has been covering, but he has one of those long feather earrings coming out of his ear, and his ear looks terrible 
badly, badly infected. Yeah, it's it's bleeding. He's got like a little band-aid over it, and actually Superhands refers to it as his Blair Witch ear. Yeah. And uh I then you get this scene where um Jeremy and, and Superhands are talking about Tony and Jeremy makes it very clear to Superhands how much he loves Tony and how Tony is the best thing ever and Superhands responds by telling Jeremy that the the recording studio will make women horny for them and he just finishes off with it's a savage garden my friend it's a savage garden now of course Jeremy uh, not picking up what that means and that's you know typical Jeremy and typical Superhands but so back at JLB we have a, a fairly relaxed mark at this point yeah he's just like couldn't be better he's if he could was if he was a skipper he would probably be skipping he nailed the he nailed the interview all the questions he's just on on cloud nine right now yeah and you, you know you kind of have to wonder did the interview actually go well or is it just mark's a horrible perception of things makes him think that it went a lot better than it did yeah, I thought about that too. I wondered if it's like the scene in Wolf of Wall Street where Leonardo DiCaprio is driving and he sees himself as driving well, but in actuality he's like swerving all over the road and you know his car is totaled and everything. Yeah. So I wondered about that. I wondered about that myself. And uh, you know, much like what commonly occurs in drug-induced tases, Mark thinks about his big idea that he didn't present at the meeting, which is uh, something to do with phones, but it's not really specific at this point, but it's kind of where Mark's storyline is going to head. But Mark uh, is mentioning that, you know, apparently he helped children uh, that can't see or have some sort of visual disabilities out and that he didn't just do it for his, his resume, but in reality he did. Yeah. I, he's also planning out what he's going to do with the extra money he's been making and he's, you know, planning to take a trip to Zurich. And I don't know if you caught this. This is the cheapest damn trip I've ever seen. He said it was something like six weeks, saving $160 every two weeks. Like, what a cheap trip to Zurich for two people. Yeah. I mean, it would probably cost me more than that to just get out of Texas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, so Sophie comes in and has some news from Mark about the job. And uh, it's not necessarily good news. However, she leads off. Or Mark leads off by asking her, "Did Jeff get the job?" And and she says, "We didn't give it to Jeff." And Mark just like gets up and he does this like little fist bump and he's like spiking the football, spiking the football. He's super excited. But then Sophie finishes off with, "But we didn't give it to you either." <laughs> Mark is and, definitely very confused about that. Yes, uh, I we were talking about this earlier as we were doing our rewatch of the episode before we came on. David Mitchell's acting is incredible in this scene. So good. So funny. Like, Peep Show is not a show that is praised for its acting, although I would, wouldn't say the acting is terrible. It's just not a show you think of when you think of a, you know, of a quality acting show. Um, but his eyes in this scene go from like confusion to sadness to grief and to anger without saying a single word it is i i can't i can't say enough how fantastic his acting in this scene is it's really good and you know even when he you know when he is speaking i mean his timing is just dead on and it's just it's so it's, it's a very good scene for him uh, probably one of the best in the series honestly 
but uh, so he's trying to he's having a hard time understanding you know what, what happened here like obviously something happened there's a story that happened behind the story what is it yeah yeah I don't know and it's she's not very clear the other thing and I don't know if you noticed this but I definitely did did you notice that the mini blinds if you look in the mini blinds it is completely dark outside like it looks like it's like seven or eight o'clock at night it's <laughs> I, crazy I, I didn't notice that but it kind of makes sense because i mean if you look at the like on imdb the notes for you know like where they filmed it and stuff i mean it was an actual like functional office it wasn't a set or anything like that so they probably just had to sneak in there late at night and uh and do their thing but so apparently sophie ended up getting the job uh which is quite a shock to mark because sophie wasn't even in the running yeah, and and Sophie tells tells Mark specifically that that Barbara felt that none of, none of the none of the applicants came up to the required standards, which really begs the question: like, what kind of standards does a racist have? Absolutely, and so essentially, Mark kind of defeated at this point kind of okay just wants to be left alone. Okay, Sophie, nope, doesn't matter. He, she spills his coffee, but even he doesn't care about that. And uh, so Sophie, at, that, at this point, kind of uh, gets into a little bit of a, a dick show with Mark, kind of, just kind of saying, hey, I'm the big man now, and asking him to finish a bunch of work by the uh, weekend. Yeah, this, this scene is super funny where he's like, he knocks the, the tea over, and, and, uh, and Sophie is trying to be polite to him and help him clean the tea up, and he's just like, no, I'll take care of it. And then she just busts out this, like, obscene list of responsible uh, responsibilities for Mark to get done and you can see that he goes from like indignant where he's just like what is she telling me what to do to oh she's telling me what to do absolutely now we're gonna see what kind of shit has been shaken up back at 123 studio where Jeremy is sitting in kind of pretty much an empty uh, producing room showing Tony just a standard soundboard and this we're gonna go ahead and play this scene here in just a second but i love this little monologue that jeremy has right here where he's just like yes that is really very similar to a much larger version of the one that i have let's just play the scene this is really very similar to a much larger version of the old graphics equalizer that you might have had on your hi-fi in that it takes the graphics which is another word for music and it equalizes them i've lost her She's gone. Christ, I'm actually quite boring when I put my mind to it. And you got the Chemical Brothers in Six. Yeah, yeah, they're great. Really great group. Lovely guys. Come on, this is it. So, just sitting here, it's almost like you can feel your mojo expanding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I enjoy that little monologue there. And, and hopefully you'll take Jeremy's advice and make sure that you get our graphics correctly equalized. Yeah, it takes a lot of work to get the graphics equalized, so you make sure that you're listening to it with the optimal graphical setting. Yeah, definitely. It's a visual, uh, amazing spectacle. So um, let's see. So apparently, Jeremy lied to Tony and told her that he's going to be mixing the Chemical Brothers at six. Yeah, and, and then this is also great where Jeremy starts to go into full seduction mode as he's want to do and this is kind of the the beginning of like real charismatic like jeremy when he's trying to pick up women 
Absolutely, but he is foiled before he can get too far by Superhands entering the room. And you can tell straight away that Tony is seems pretty intrigued by him. Yeah, she, he, he introduces himself to her, and Tony, by the way, has become increasingly bored of Jeremy's conversations about the graphics equalizer and... Olive oil. All, olive oil and all <laughs> sorts of stuff. So she is just thriving for someone to you know, pay attention to her. And that person just happens to be super hands. Yep. And so this sort of little conversation over the book that super hands is reading, which is called Burroughs and the drug culture, which actually isn't a real book, but definitely sounds like a real book. Yeah. I, I thought it was just super funny that you could just attach the words drug culture and Burroughs together. And it would be a perfectly believable story. Even the, the story that super hands outlines with, Kerouac being so high on ketamine, he writes a book. Uh, he writes a book without a pen, and um, <laughs> yeah, it's great. I wish this yeah. was a real book. Absolutely, and at this point, Tony's pretty much eaten out of his hand, and Jeremy is visibly upset that there's a little bit of chemistry there. And uh, Hans kind of tries to get Jeremy. You know, I mean, he doesn't kind of. He gets tries to get Jeremy to leave by saying that there's something broken down in the reception area. Yeah, this is a great exchange between the two where uh, Hans is just like, Jeremy, I need you to go down to the reception area. Well, let's just let's just listen to it. Cheers, do you think you could have a look at that uh, thing for me on reception? A thing? Yeah. Oh, that. I fixed that. Oh, did you? It's uh, gone again. No, I fixed it. Twice. I was, I was just down there. It's uh, definitely not working. Fuck off. What isn't? The thing. You fixed. Listen, I'm just showing Tony around at the Jeremy, moment. I'm fine. Your thing sounds important. <laughs> yeah, classic, completely dismissive, just get the fuck out. Yeah, but, I, uh, I like how this is another one of these this is another one of these scenes where characters are having conversations about the same thing and they're just trying to um, confuse each other. It's great. Definitely. And uh, I'm guessing in the episode it must be Wednesday because now we see Mark and Sophie playing some badminton. Yeah, and in this scene, Mark is really, really trying to be cool about everything. and But he can't. Yeah, he can't. <laughs> and he keeps spontaneously just, like, spiking the shit out of the birdie at Sophie. And, like, he'll call her a bitch and he'll... and uh, But then he'll, like chide himself for thinking that about her yeah and you know it's, it's just mark's typical internal dialogue honestly and mark's still beating himself up over not bringing up his big phone idea at the interview uh, and so he's definitely having a lot of conflicting feelings and just definitely resentful towards sophie yeah, this is a this is a very funny scene where he's in his head. He's like a beautiful, stupid, ugly, shitting, filthy, grasping stooge. And uh, <laughs> Sophie congratulates Mark on winning fifteen to nine. Which I have this feeling that Sophie just let Mark win, probably. And then she drops some news casually that she's going out to dinner with Barbara, Allen, and Mike. I think is the other guy's name. It is, it is, and uh, I guess it's just the work team, and you know, Mark's very upset because he thought that he'd asked her out on a date, but I guess they never actually settled on whether or not it was a date. And Mark's, and I have seen, 
I not seen. I mean, I've had it happen to me too, where you you're not very clear on what the expectations are. So then you thinking this is one thing, she's thinking comp- something completely different. Definitely, definitely. And uh, before we get to the magic dinner there, we have Jeremy in one, two, three studios, still upset about super hands, really just cock blocking him completely. Yeah. And then he has this really funny quick scene where he sees, um, where he sees super hands and Tony sitting in a, like the recording booth together. This whole scene is like 15 seconds long. It took us five times longer to recap it than the entire scene was. Absolutely. But that's the kind of car- hard hitting commentary that you listen to us for. So there you go. <laughs> so we get uh, Mark and Sophie now are on the street and Sophie's getting ready to go to this work dinner and Mark's just going to go home. Yeah, and uh, he, he, he tells her that he can get, you know, that he can get home fine. And he turns and he looks at the restaurant and he just starts thinking to him, to himself, you know, is winter coming? Is this Stalingrad? Is this where it ends? And just as he's about to do the smart thing, which is walk away, he just goes, or is this where it all starts? And he just goes charging into the restaurant. Yes, you're thinking that he has an absolutely great idea that this is the perfect time to pitch my big phone idea. Yeah, and he just he walks up to the table and you can tell that all four people at the table, Barbara the racist, Sophie, Mike, Allen, you can just tell that everybody knows that this is a horrible idea except <laughs> for the person who's engaging in this act. Yes, and uh, we should mention as well, when we say Alan, that's not Alan Johnson. This is Mystery Alan. Uh, the credits do say that Alan Johnson's in this episode, or, or I guess Patterson Joseph, rather, as uh, as Alan Johnson, but he actually is not. Uh, but Sophie, everybody knows that it's not going to be good, and Mark basically blurts out his big idea, which is to reroute all the phones. Yeah, he, uh, he tells them, we'll just reroute the phones to our cell phones, 24-hour face-to-face round-the-clock customer service and then he he talks about hey when i'm clocking off it's like finger to the customer and not anymore now Now, as somebody who works (laughs) were you thinking about this no i was just about to ask you because you know knowing what your job is i can only imagine you have some sort of input here so just so everybody is aware i work at a call center for an insurance company taking claims fantastic job love this job customers sometimes a little crazy that's neither here nor there if i was getting calls from people in car wrecks on my mobile phone i would have fucking committed the worst act in the history of mankind this is a terrible idea it's abhorrent and it triggers the fuck out of me yes as it should as it should i definitely that does not sound great but at this point, Barbara just she can all she can do is face palm, and you know uh, I believe it's Alan gets up basically to get in Mark's face and say, "Listen, you, you know you shouldn't be here. You know, thank you, but get out." Basically, and Mark is just thinking to himself, "This is a good idea. This is a good idea. There's no chance this wasn't a good idea." But really, as we all know, this was a terrible idea. And I guess we should probably explain, uh, Mark just basically is 
spouting this out to four people who have no interest in what he has to say, and everybody's just becoming increasingly uncomfortable as Mark just goes on and on with his commentary. Yeah, he's, he's ever since he found out that he didn't get the job, he's you can sort of see that he's kind of slowly melting down, which becomes very apparent in the next scene at the pub where Superhands and Jeremy are sitting down having a drink. It's, it looks like it's the same pub as they were at in the first episode. Uh, Jeremy just starts staring at Superhands because obviously there's a lot of heat there because he's trying to steal his girlfriend. Yeah, Jeremy is literally staring, well, figuratively, excuse me. Don't fact check me and send me tweets about that. He is figuratively <laughs> staring daggers straight through Superhands. Yeah, definitely not happy. And Jeremy knows that you know Superhands and Tony have actually been hooking up. It wasn't just the day at the studio. Uh, apparently, he saw Tony leaving Superhands' apartment the day before. Uh, yeah, he saw Superhands leaving her apartment. Oh, her apartment. Okay. He says, "You know what were you doing over at Tony's apartment?" And uh, Superhands, you know, says that he's teaching her the bongo, and Jeremy quotes that it sure was a long lesson. Superhand says, oh, she's got a passion for percussion. <laughs> and then Jeremy drops the bomb where he said, I didn't see you carrying a bongo. You weren't <laughs> there carrying. Was. There was no bongo. But every time he tries to just nail Superhands into this corner, Superhands is able to like gracefully pivot and reflect. Yeah, it's it's kind of like Ricky from Trailer Park Boys' ability to always get the cops off his ass. But basically, uh, Superhands, Jeremy says that he heard uh, some interesting noises coming through the wall next door. Superhands says that he was just doing push ups. And uh, Jeremy says, you know, well, it sounds like you enjoyed those last couple push ups a whole lot. And Hands has this great line where he's just like, mate, sometimes you got to push through the burn. <laughs> Oh, man. And so Mark comes into the pub at this point, and Jeremy is well aware of the fact that Mark is just a ticking time bomb. And it's probably not a good idea to to poke the bear currently. Yeah, and he knows uh, this is not the time to piss off Mark. So instead of pissing off Mark, he just is trying to be ultra nice to Mark and super, you know... Um, just super overly polite, kind of like he was in last week's episode. Absolutely. And uh, at this point, you know, it seems like Mark has probably had a few to drink. And so Mark heads into JLB back to the office, kind of looking for some revenge. And uh, there's, there's a really good monologue here as well that we'll go ahead and play. Uh, just Mark's adventures in Barbara's the racist office. Hey, Barbara, thought we should have a follow-up meeting. Read the phones thing. Oh, you're not here. Well, I'll just leave my new idea in your desk. Give you time to think about it. Yeah, so my new idea is urine. Loads and loads of urine. Flooding your drawers. What do you think about that? Don't you think that would be just the ticket? Yeah, you're getting some too. JLB credit. Fuck off, please. What? From Sophie. Application letter to... She did it. She stiffed me. Well, Sophie's drawer's getting a dousing too. Or I could park a turd on her desk. Bit freaky. Pissing's okay. Pissing's just horseplay. Oh my god. Oh no. I didn't do it. It's not my piss. It was a joke. She did it to me last week. Shit! Mark? Sophie, I, I didn't realise you were still here. Yeah, I've been working late down in marketing. What are you doing? Oh, just likewise. Uh, working late. Uh, left a file here somewhere. 
Right. Um, Mark, I'm, I'm glad I bumped into you, actually. About the other night at the restaurant, um, I just wanted you to know that I'm... Don't notice the piss. You. Don't notice the piss. Yeah, Mark? Oh, oh yeah, totally. Oh, there's the Finnamore numbers. I knew she had these here somewhere. Let me get those for you. Oh, thanks, Mark. Um, listen, do you want to... Better not, thanks. Got a lot to do. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> yeah. and then what I love about this scene is how he kind of, like, angles himself on the desk, and he just leans on the desk in such a super unnatural way so that Sophie can't see the pee all over the desk. <laughs> And and I really just like the uh, you know JLB credit fuck off please that had to have been satisfying. Oh, as a phone employee, that's my ultimate dream. Yeah. So so Mark is trying to hide all this piss all over the place, and Sophie starts to kind of tell Mark about the dinner the other night, and Mark just kind of tunes her out, and he just he, at this point he's just being agreeable because he's he's just in his own head. Yeah, he's he's thinking to himself like, can she see the piss? Um, you know, he's just so worried about the urine, and then then Sophie all of a sudden just says, "All right, Mark," and he just is like, "Yeah, totally." Yeah. So uh, at this point, uh, you know, Sophie kind of hints that she wants to get a drink, but he he's just not really interested. Says that he has a lot to do because obviously now. He's kind of sort of been caught yellow-handed and needs to kind of cover his tracks here. So he picks up the pile of paperwork and heads into the men's bathroom with all these papers just soaking in piss. And he has this other funny little line where he's like, oh, my my papers are crinkled. That's not against the law. Hello, police officer. Somebody's crinkled my paper. And, uh, you know, this week's uh, Peep Show life hack, if you piss all of your boss's papers, stick them to the mirror and use a hand dryer. Yeah. Yeah. I know that this is a very common problem at my house. Uh, I like to mark my territory. So sometimes, you know, paper gets wet and everything. I will know how to dry it out in the future. Mm -hmm. Yep. Might even work with animals. uh, You know, if if you try it out, let us know. But uh, so at this point, Sophie knocks on the door. And it's kind of weird that this bathroom door has a window in it. I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah, I mean, I didn't notice if there was, you know, if it's just nothing but stalls, that's fine. But I would imagine there's urinals in there, too. So it seems weird that they would have a window into the bathroom. Yeah, definitely a little bit strange. But Sophie starts to invite... Sophie, sorry, starts to invite Mark to go get a coffee and notices that there's papers all over the mirror. And she just, she looks at Mark and she just says, what happened? And this is how you know somebody is guilty of something. He just goes, it's not piss. It's definitely, like, whatever you think it is, it's definitely not piss. And that's how you know somebody's guilty. If somebody just cops to something like that, just from the jump, you know that that dude pissed all over those papers. Yeah. So... Obviously, Mark is, uh, you know, you can sort of see him kind of unraveling here. So the next thing we see is Mark sitting in a big old chair in a therapist's office. Do you think that this was some sort of, like, JLB thing that he was forced to go to this? Or do you think that he went on this of his own volition? I don't think Mark would ever admit that he actually needs help. Uh, I, I feel like Sophie... It was one of those scenarios where it's like, okay, you got caught basically pissing all over an office. 
you can either, you know, go to therapy and hopefully work it out or, you know, get out. Yeah. I have a feeling it was one of those sort of things. Um, but, and especially because Mark mentions that he's there for careers guidance, not necessarily therapy. But Sophie never mentions the pissed on papers to anybody. Like, well, it could just be that she's being overly polite. I just can't. I just, from what we know of Sophie's character, I just can't see that being something that she's even like moderately okay with. No, but like Mark said, it's just piss. <laughs> That's true. I mean, That's true. He didn't, you know, it's not creepy. You know, it's not a, not a turd or anything like that. No, that's a, that's no. a bit too, that's a bit too freaky. No, it's I mean, just horseplay. No, she just, you know, maybe she listens to a lot of R. Kelly. Maybe, you know, she just has a very liberal attitude towards piss. I don't know, but uh, I'm certainly not going to make any assumptions. So I, th- but I feel like it was a JLB thing. And like I said, Mark emphasizes that he doesn't really want therapy. Yeah. He, he tells the, I'm not, he tells the therapist, I'm not here to talk about anything. I may or may not be feeling my mom, my dad, or my so- so-called childhood. I'm here for one thing and that's career guidance. So to, to kick the therapy session off, the therapist wants to do some word association with Mark. This scene is really really funny because this this scene right here so basically what happens is the the doctor asks mark a word mark thinks a thought internally but then speaks something totally opposite of whatever he was thinking in his head and it, and you can tell you can tell that he that's definitely not the first word he thought of and it's so funny because it is this scene this is mark where he's weird and he struggles to fit in and that's just his lot in life. And you can see him, the level, the levels that he has to go through for human interaction are so funny in this scene. Definitely. So, you know, the, the word association, you know, it, it's going less than ideal. You know, it starts off pretty mild. Uh, the first words work to which he thinks uh, snake pit in his head and, and just kind of spits out snake charmer. I love that. Like, it makes no sense. It's obviously not the first word he thought of. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, so he's going through some other stuff. Uh, one, of, one of the words is children, to which he thinks blind, when he's still on the blind kids thing. And uh, ends up saying short. I mean, children are short. I, I guess I could see that being the first thing somebody might think. Yeah, he says, father. I like this one. All of them start with Fs. Where he's like, father. And then Mark intern internalizes Fuhrer and then <laughs> but what he says is football Mark yeah. never played football with his goddamn dad no I and promise we, we, you that no, definitely not never. Mark's dad probably never played football just in general I mean we get to meet him in another in a later season but uh, the last one is the word mother and Mark just kind of uh, kind of just thinks oh Sophie and but what he externalizes is fuck, and that is really funny because he then has to try to explain. No, I didn't mean that. Oh my god, I failed. I did, I failed, didn't I? Did I do bad? Can well, I take what, the he's, test he's again? Concerned. He's concerned about what score he got. And when the therapist says, you know, we don't really score these things, and Mark's just kind of like, oh, yeah, right. You know, 
I definitely uh, did not score well. So the therapist at this point realizes that this is kind of a fruitless exercise and goes on to uh, an ink blot test. You know, a typical ink blot, he holds it up and it's just uh, in a nondescript random picture. But Mark definitely sees something. He sees, I like how you left this line for me. Thanks a lot, asshole. You're welcome. (laughs) He sees a hairy twat, a hungry, devouring twat. But what he says is a kitten. Yeah, I mean, I get those two confused. It it happens. But uh, what is uh, also getting kind of confused is Jeremy's role back at 123 Studios. Because they are, they're just hanging out with the band after a recording session, and the band's just kind of discussing, you know, how the how the how the chorus is, how the hook is, and just how the session went. Yeah, and, and Jeremy is serving lattes, and but you know, Jeremy is a musician, so of course he knows how to make a song better than actual legit musicians. And <laughs> this scene completely parallels Mark's scene at the restaurant, where Jeremy just goes off on how to make this song better. And it is completely following, falling on deaf ears. And Jeremy knows that it's a bad idea, but he just can't stop himself. No, it's it's great. We'll go ahead and play it here because I think this is one of the best clips in the entire show uh, in this season. It's that hook. Off with a hook, we need to hit something, yeah? They don't know I'm the owner of a the massive musical brain. To them, I'm just the mild-mannered janitor. The chorus is working too. Yeah, the it's chorus is working. Time. Like the frog chorus. <laughs> Someone needs to tell them. I'm an outsider, but I'm on the inside. This is it. This is my moment. Go on, do it. Cross the drawbridge. Make the splash. Maybe you should just mess things up a bit. Sorry? I mean, don't you think it'd be better if the sound was more sort of like... Yeah. Okay. Not so much A to B to C, but more sort of... A to D, and then back to A, and then to X. You know, just better. Like your first CD. I mean, obviously, I don't want to butt in. I mean, it's your song. Because, like I say, at the moment, it is very sort of, you know, da, 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 da. Oh, God, we're doing the fucking song. When's it gonna finish? Fucking hell. Whereas I'm thinking that it should be more sort of... Whereas, like I say, at the moment, it is more kind of... Which it doesn't have to be. Yeah. No. Yeah, that's great. Thanks, mate. No problem, mate. This was definitely a good idea. There's no chance this wasn't a good idea. (laughs) It's like, for me, you know, having been in bands and having done some recording, like, ah, God, there's nothing worse than somebody who's like, just some random outsider being like, oh, yeah, well, that's pretty good, but... I like the line where he has, you know, like your first CD, because how many bands probably rue the day they released their first CD when five years down the road, everybody's like, Oh well, they're they're good, but they're not as good as their first CD was. Yeah, and if you want uh, f- even further analysis on that, there's a season three episode of Metalocalypse where the band goes back to their roots, and it's pretty much that. Uh, fantastic show, fantastic episode. 
But Jeremy, you know, and of course with the last line there, parrots mark exactly, this was a good idea. There's no chance this wasn't a good idea. And then, of course, we quickly cut to Superhands and Jeremy at the front desk. And Superhands is on the phone, and you can tell that something is going on. Yeah. Jeremy is most definitely getting fired for those annex. And so Superhands says, you know, hey, look, the boss, Ron, he's a tough nut. He did everything that he could. And, you know, meanwhile, Jeremy was standing in front of Hans the whole time he was on the phone. And obviously, you know, Hans was just like, yes, yes, sir. You know, just being the rank and file uh, busy bee there. And and again, this goes back to the responsible super hands, chaotic Jeremy storyline that's been going on this whole time where Jeremy is like, oh, well, you should just quit, too. And super hands is like, oh, well, I want to quit, but I kind of, you know, I can't, I can't. And uh, and so Jeremy just threatens to stand there. So that's when Superhands calls Ron, the studio owner. Yeah, and pretty much, uh, you know, Hands is just like, yeah, he he won't leave. You know, kind of. It, it's it's very funny, uh, definitely. And so basically, he hands the phone with Ron on it to Jeremy, who says essentially leave or we're going to call the cops. And Jeremy immediately backs down. Nope, nope, that won't be necessary. Yep, I'm leaving right now. Thanks, Ron. Oh, so you thought he was calling the cops? I thought he was telling Jeremy he was going to beat the shit out of him. Oh, well, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it could have gone either way. Either I think either way, whatever Ron's proposed or solution to removing Jeremy was, was probably not in Jeremy's best interest. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, back at Apollo House with Jeremy now fired and Mark... Who, who really knows what's going on at this point? Uh, they're, they got Bob Ross on the TV like they normally do, and Mark is painting really intensely and just kind of sitting around in his pajamas. He looks so disheveled in this scene. He's got like a five o'clock shadow, this bathrobe that normally Mark, when he's wearing, um, you know, his kind of his sleeping clothes, he's wearing kind of a, a red kind of pajama set, but this time he's just in like this like purple kind of pajama set and he's like smoking and he's got a beer and all this stuff it's very funny yeah so mark basically says that he's ill and screwing the system and there's not a thing they can do about it now this kind of goes back to our earlier conversation about was it jlb or was it mark going to the uh, psychiatrist or the therapist you know if it was jlb they probably gave him a short leave of absence to get his shit together. Yeah, that's a good point. I think that that puts, I think that puts a point firmly in the therapy was not JLB's idea category. Well, I'm saying I think it was. So that's how he's screwing the system is he's just kind of like malingering with the therapist. No, no, he's screwing the system because he's calling in sick. Yeah. Well, either way you want to look at it, yeah. Mark is Mark. Mark feels like he's he's gotten a win on that. So yeah, you know, we see their paintings and they're just awful. I mean, we're talking like preschool finger paint quality at best. Yeah, and then and then this gets to kind of the second half plot of the of the show where basically to paraphrase, Mark is plotting revenge against Sophie and he mentions such to Jeremy and Jeremy is just what suddenly you can't wreak revenge. 
and in this in this scene he's like completely like pumping up Mark right here and he's also <laughs> thinking about super hands as well and Mark is just like yeah it's political correctness gone mad and so well, yeah at that point Mark brings up the movie Strangers on a Train uh, which if you're not familiar just really quick it's an Alfred Hitchcock movie where uh, it's basically two guys that both have somebody that they want murdered but the guys agree to basically murder the other person's target so that they'd both have an alibi and they'd they'd cover for each other and stuff. And just kind of quid pro quo, but it doesn't really work out. Uh, in the end, it, it all goes horribly wrong. And, uh, Mark actually says to Jeremy, like, uh, you know, I can't really remember how the movie ended, but you know, this could work. Yeah. And then we don't know what the terms of the agreement are, but, we quickly find out at least what Mark has in plan for Sophie. Yes, because shortly thereafter, in a bush outside of Sophie's house, is Jeremy and Mark, and they're just kind of watching her. She's just sitting on the couch eating. Yeah, yeah, and this is this is great because Jeremy's first idea of a prank call is I'll chop you up and put you in a bucket. And- <laughs> Mark, just Mark, looks, Mark doesn't like that. Mark just looks completely horrified at the thought of like telling Sophie that he was going to chop her up and put her in a bucket. Which I find interesting because obviously his uh, his moral compass is just spinning at this point because he's outside her house stalking her in the first place. Yeah. But ba- basically at this point, she picks up the phone and Jeremy just has to ad lib a line. So he just says in a very creepy voice, I'm watching you. <laughs> and she... <laughs> But this is great because you don't hear her side of the conversation. You just hear Jeremy's, but you know exactly what she's saying. Yeah, like, uh, you know, so it's basically Sophie is saying like, oh, well, you know, how do I know that uh, you're outside my house? And Jeremy says, oh, I see you eating spaghetti. And then, and then he just goes, linguini, you know, whatever. And I, lo- <laughs> I love the fact that even though Sophie was presented with this horrible person calling her that she thinks to correct him that she is not eating spaghetti, but eating linguine. Yes. So Sophie at that point has pretty much had enough of this phone call and decides to go investigate, but not before she goes and grabs an airsoft gun. Yeah. She grabs this little airsoft pistol. And as she steps out of frame to go get it, she just hears, Jeremy saying like, "Hey, hey, what are you doing? Don't don't step away from the window." And then he just is like, he sees her coming out with the airsoft gun, and he's just, you know, screaming at her like, you know, you don't need to do this. And she just starts <laughs> shooting blindly into the bush, and she hits Mark right in the forehead. And I have a hard time believing that she can't see Mark and Jeremy, or at least hear Mark yelling, "Oh fuck," you know, and and all that. Because they, they couldn't have been that far away. Yeah, I mean, it's if they had clear line of sight on Sophie, which they did, because you see it from their perspective that they have a clear line of sight, she would have had clear line of sight on them as well. So, yeah, especially as they're running away, because before they can get away, they run into a wall pretty much. And as they try to scale the wall and jump over it down in the alleyway below, there's a, a very angry dog waiting for them. Yeah. And then it just kind of ends. The scene just kind of ends with Mark just screaming, oh, fuck. Yeah. So 
it ends, but then we pick up on Mark taking care of Jeremy's target now at Superhands' apartment. And the whole time they're walking up to it, Mark's just kind of trying to reconcile this whole thing to himself and actually says, you know, he's made, I made a psycho call to the woman I love. I've kicked a dog to death, and now I'm going to pepper spray an acquaintance. So the plot's starting to come together. The, the kick the dog to death part is the part that always gets me because this is like... That had to have been the most brutal thing ever to kick an animal to death, and I can't believe they didn't show that. No, and, not like you know, an actual death, but obviously, you know, right. whatever. Obviously, but so you know, but Jeremy even makes mention like, "Oh, it's lucky you had those boots." I know what yeah. boots did he have on? Did he have I have his, no like, idea. Steel-toed dog killing boots on? I, I have no idea. We're gonna have to consult Michael Vick, but. <laughs> Like, I can only imagine if you were to do that, you would probably be fairly covered in blood and various other uh, liquids. Yeah, well... But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. But in this scene, you have Mark, and he's wearing, like, a motorcycle helmet, like a red motorcycle helmet with one of the face shields, and then he has a scarf that's around his neck, and Mark's plan is simple. He's gonna give the. He's gonna ring a door. He's gonna hand a pizza to Super Hands, pepper spray him, kick him in the nuts, and then take his wallet so it looks like a robbery. <laughs> and of course, you know, not a Mark thing to do. Mark is very passive aggressive, and he just kicked the dog to death. This should be well, nothing. I guess, but yeah, you know, uh, that you know that's a good point. That's a good point. I'm not even going to try to argue that. That is a very good point. So Mark, he, but he just can't find himself to do it. That's because when he go, actually goes to the door, Tony is the one who answers and gives gives uh, Mark a very sarcastic, like, do I look like the type of person who eats pizza? At which point Mark pulls the uh, bandana or whatever is down from what's covering the lower part of his face and, you know, very horribly just says, no, it's me, Mark. Yeah, and he's he's like... Jeremy is Jeremy's paid me to pepper spray super hands, but I just can't go through with it. Jeremy in the background is like sneaking around <laughs> in the most like obvious like blatant. It's terrible. <laughs> like and, and he's he's wearing a he's wearing like a camo jacket thinking he's being all slick. And like he's got like a face mask that you'd see, like a bank robber, maybe you'd imagine having with like the little eye holes cut out. But he ha- he bought the wrong kind, and his whole face is visible through the thing. You know those you know those cartoons where it shows the bad guy sneaking, and he has his hands kind of up, on his- up yeah, and he's like tiptoeing, he's tiptoeing. <laughs> That's exactly what Jeremy is doing in this scene. It is so goddamn funny. And I didn't notice it at first, but that just absolutely cracks me up now that I'm, I'm aware of it. But so at this point, uh, you know, Superhands comes to the door and he's just kind of like, what the hell? Yeah, uh, yeah, Jeremy just, and as soon as Jeremy sees Superhands at the door, he just is like, he's just pissed. And he comes <laughs> over and he's like kind of chastising Tony and Tony just goes, you know, we're two single people having a great time. But to that scene, I say, Tony, you are not single. You are married. Yeah, I guess she she still could be. I don't think I don't think that ever got resolved. Really, did it? Well, they're divorced by the time some they're divorced at some point between the end of season one and the start of season two because they get remarried mm, yeah. in like the second right. episode, I think. So at this point, Jeremy's also had enough and just grabs the pepper spray from Mark 
and uh, just starts spraying it on super hands. Yeah, so Jeremy goes through with his own plan, which is to pepper spray, kick in the nuts, and then steal the wallet. But before he can steal the wallet, Mark just grabs the pepper spray from Jeremy and then just pepper sprays the shit out of Jeremy. At this point, uh, Mark is definitely 100% aware that he has made some very poor choices. So we get a quick flash over back to the therapist's office with Mark saying, all right, enough of this career's guidance. I need therapy. And Mark looks really, really in bad shape right now where he's, you know, like very disheveled looking. Yeah, but even in that office, it's not as bad as when we see him back at Apollo House, where at this point, his pajamas, I mean, they almost it almost looks like a prison uniform. You know, he's day drinking, he's hes smoking. I mean, it's just, it's very unmarked. And, uh, and, but at the same time, he's trying to be the Zen master about the whole thing, because obviously he got some sort of therapy now. And he can tell that, that Jeremy is upset with him, and, and he definitely does apologize to Jeremy for pepper spraying him. Jeremy is like tearing apart the flat looking for the pepper spray, which Mark tells him (laughs) he's thrown away. Right. So Mark's new motto at this point that he keeps repeating to himself is just heal and grow, heal and grow. And he just, it's like serenity now, just serenity now and sanity later. Sophie shows up, Mark invites her in and he's still kind of just repeating this mantra as she's walking around. Yeah. He's, he's talking to her and, He's just like heal and grow, heal and grow. But uh, it did, you know, Sophie notices the big welt on his head from where she shot him with the airsoft gun. But, you know, she still doesn't, I guess, officially realize, and I, I still can't believe it that it was. She didn't realize that it was Mark in the bushes. So uh, she asks Mark, you know, what happened to your head? That's terrible. And and Mark says, oh, it's nothing. You know, Jeremy hit me with a ladle. Yeah, and uh, so then Sophie starts yelling at. Jeremy for giving Mark a good ladling here. And I have to say, even though the fact that Jeremy is like super pissed at Mark, that was really cool of him not to narc out Mark to Sophie. It was. And you know what? Uh, Ladling. I I really like that term. I hope that there's a culture somewhere that engages in the practice of ladling. I'm sure there is. Yeah. But so at this point, Mark, like Jeremy's, you know, says, you know, yeah, she, he shouldn't have pepper sprayed me. And, uh, you know, Sophie's just kind of seems disgusted a little bit, or at least surprised. And, uh, Mark is still playing word association with himself. So, you know, he's thinking, uh, Oh God, I'm such a cock muncher. No, not cock muncher. He's still just like going back and forth and not really realizing what he's actually thinking. Yeah. And, we get the scene where Sophie tells Mark that she doesn't even really want the job, but that Barbara kind of forced her to, um, you know, hire for it. And she's just kind of, you know, trying to reassure Mark that everything is going to be okay. And Mark just goes off on her and he's just, you know, I'm surprised you can see me from that ivory tower you're on. And you can just tell that she is like pissed at him. At that Super point, pissed. which isn't a good idea to say that to your boss, probably, even if you're on uh, on leaving in therapy. But Sophie just tells Mark off immediately and storms out. And as Mark is chasing Sophie out of the flat, kind of saying, "No, wait, wait, wait," Jez has found the pepper spray. Yeah, and then he and then Jeremy, he just pepper sprays the shit out of Mark. Yeah, well deserved for for Mark, I think, after everything. But uh, again, we get to the credits here, and it, I just I really enjoyed the episode. Like like I said at the beginning, it, we forgot about it. I feel like both of us did. 
especially after on the poll, but it's it's really good. It's one of the better episodes in the whole series. If you had asked me to tell you about this episode, I remembered in this episode the the scenes with Mark and Jeremy's respective scenes. I forgot how much happens in this episode. Like a lot of stuff happens in this episode. It's really crazy. Well, what I like is that they didn't do as much jumping around as they did. I think it was in the second episode that we had to like pretty much rewrite the whole thing to make sense of it for the podcast. But, you know, it was still fairly linear and easy to follow. Another weird thing that they do in this episode that you see a couple times is that they use this weird, like, choppy, missing frames fast motion, mm-hmm. which I don't think they really use again. So that was a little bit strange as well. Yeah, they use, it, th- they use it in the scene where, Jer- or where Mark is trying to clean the uh, piss papers up. Yeah, and also they use it again when he is uh, going to the dinner table oh, to yeah, confront the, the work group. Yeah, I don't know if it's just, like... You know, maybe it's symbolic of like Mark's descent into madness, but uh, either way, a little, little bit strange for uh, the way that it felt, but eh, good either way. Um, definitely, uh, if you haven't watched it yet and you've just been listening to us, definitely go watch it. Uh, you know, especially this one is definitely one of those where once you're aware of all the little sight gags and other things that are occurring in the episode, it's way funnier, at least in my opinion. Yes, this was a this was a great episode, and they really hit it out of the park. David Mitchell's acting, I just cannot praise enough in this episode. Like, this is a really good episode. Very, very good. So uh, that's pretty much it for the actual Peep Show episode. Uh, Do we have any any other news, podcast-related news, shout-outs, anything like that? I see that we have a lot of new followers or likes on Facebook, so we appreciate that very much. Uh, No, no other other shout-outs. I don't know if you want to stick around and... uh, talk about wrestlemania a little more after the music or whatever but we can uh if you want to talk just briefly about some of the stuff you know we can do that after the music is over and then you guys don't have to listen to it if you don't want to no no because this is just gonna probably be me and him just completely nerding out over uh yeah wrestling so so yeah if you stay for the end of the song which lee what song are we going out to today you know uh I, I don't know because you know I kind of want to say to give Plip Plop its farewell, but uh, but we have that next week as well. We could do uh, the Undertaker's theme in honor of the Undertaker. Yeah, we could do the we could do the Undertaker. That, 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 that's that you know what though that, that has that's nothing fun. to do with that's the episode. Like let's do let's keep the episode <laughs> focused here. Uh, you know Enya or no? That's the next episode. You know I don't know. We'll, we'll have to talk about that as well. But uh, next week, uh, this was the penultimate episode, and next week is the final episode, uh, the sixth and final, which is called Funeral, uh, which, again, uh, I started kind of looking over it and taking some notes on it tonight, and uh, it's definitely another one where, you know, watching it analytically, you get a lot more out of it. So hopefully uh, you all stick with us for that one as well. But until we get to that episode... Not much else to say, so this is the L Dude Brothers podcast saying, and we'll talk to you next time. Grab a seat.
Thanks, I'm Dave, very nice to meet Dave, what it do? You can call me dog Let me just check your sheet No problem, sir, let me just say I'm a big fan of the shit that y'all make I can't lie, I've been thinking about this all day All good, there's a reason that we call Dave Let me start with your background, where you come from Sure, I was undergrad down there in Richmond Before that Are you talking about my hometown? Yeah I was born out of Philly, grew up in a little silly old town Called Cheltenham, it's in the suburbs of a middle wealth around Some real shit, you ain't never had to struggle for much? I wouldn't say it like that We just had a different kind of trap Elaborate Well, I ain't never had a tool But I had to be the man of school Like I was doing shit I had to do so when I finished undergrad, I'm cool And I could get whatever job I wanted But the job you wanted wasn't all that bumping Yeah, and I saw quick all the flaws that be coming When you grow like that When you been racing them rats You ain't been making them raps Oh, what a hardship How you pay to get the rap shit started? Man, my bar mitts for money But don't diss me, buddy I wasn't one of them youngins up on the block Who had nothing to lose I must have wanted this a lot I had something to choose <laughs> Look at that I can see there's something to prove up in your ass Yeah, I guess That's enough of the past What makes you wanna do rap? Oh my God, it's the best Bitches, let me drop on their breasts Literally, I can reinvent myself I get a form to project myself it's never boring every morning I wake up and try to best myself I never gotta be suppressed or stealthy to express myself It's kinda healthy Cool, and let me put you through a couple hypotheticals Sure In a club and a couple niggas threaten you Uh, I wouldn't do shit And I don't even get what they gotta do with this Shut the fuck up, rap's like life If you wanna do this, then you won't get far acting like a little bitch Nah, that's my niche Don't get offended by this But that's the market y'all miss That's the target I'll hit And that's the heart of my pitch I wanna do this whole thing different The fuck you mean you wanna do the whole thing different? Uh, you know, I, I think, like, you know, traditionally people have been doing the job, uh, you know, the same kind of way for a long time. But traditionally speaking, this shit works, right? No, I get that, but I, I just think, like, you know, you don't know if it could be working even better. And I think you should look at me as an opportunity to find that out. So what are your biggest strengths? My flow is crazy, I can switch that amazing For example, I could be like, ain't nobody fucking with a diggy When he get up on this shit and spit his sick and ridiculous Ripping this shit like it's never been did and the rhythm is never predictable Cause I can switch it, deliver this shit in whatever cadence you bitches prefer Alright, alright, I get it Top of that, lyrically, I'm pretty damn clever Go. Got a long bottom bitch, got a whole never Bro. And I blow up from the junk, Derrick Rosney oh. You can say I'm pretty smart, how I know better And y'all been winning like Vistorius, there's no feet Bro, I could go on and on, I'm taking over and they mad like father-in-laws Okay, enough of the punchline, that ain't showing me you different than the other guys Well, I don't know if they can run it like that, but ain't no Nobody else doing funny tight rap. What's that? Well, I could tell a story about my morning watching Boy Meets World and jerking off to the Panga Lawrence like the 14 year old of Panga. Oh, this shit like a joke to you? I don't get it. Nah, it ain't like that. I just happen to be a nutty, abundantly funny type of individual, like as a guy. So when I get up on the mic, I ain't finna just lie. Real recognize real, right? Yeah, I guess. So what you trying to do five years from now? Tell me about to do. Well, I don't care about the money, like it's the respect that I'm wanting. Honestly, I just wanna be one of the greats, where they gotta bring your boy up every debate. I don't wanna lead the game the same. In a nutshell, what's your legacy? Well, I wanna be the dude that came in and made a stand-up rap with the random rap and a man like that for the people that was anti-rap yeah the fans of rap started to recognize the anti-rap is ironically one of the real brands of rap left that shit sound pretty damn complex i guess i want to be the best i just want to do it my way and turn a whole game sideways to show people you ain't gotta be resigned to the highway you can make a path while these motherfuckers drive straight i ain't mad at that well thanks man that's my plan of attack just let me in and i'ma rap the plaques and i ain't about to win them back to back i'm about to win them like it's back to back to back to back to back till i stop rapping you ain't even sold a damn album yet true that's a lot of talk from a Wally vet, let alone young rook, nigga. You misread me. No, this ain't a book, nigga. Well, that's one of my flaws. I'm too competitive, dog. No, you just fucking repetitive, dog. I get it, you trying to be better than all, but you aren't shitting to Jenna's involved. I get that, I gotta prove myself. No shit, you ain't done shit. But think about that, dog. Only doing this a couple of years, one taping them like this. This shit is alright for your first shit, but you don't know if it's your worst shit. You don't think finding out would be worth it? It might be, it might not. But I'ma put your ass to work, kid. Wait, like. Like I have the job? Like really? Well, one more thing. Let me see if you can put a hook together. 
What would you do for the hook for this song? Uh, you, you want me to make a hook up right now? Do I look like the type of nigga that like repeating himself? Uh, uh, okay. Man, do the hook. Uh, I'm about to be professional. Homie, I'm professional. So, uh, maybe like a low voice type thing? Nigga, that shit is garbage, man. Well, you know, I feel like there might have been some upside to it, but I'm not good at thinking of things on the spot like that. Don't y'all normally, like, outsource for that kind of thing sometimes? Whatever, man. You trying to smoke a blunt? Right now? Yeah. Sure. All right, so thank you for staying after the credits. This is uh, just going to be quick, don't want to go too crazy with it, discussion of of WrestleMania. Yeah, because I think every wrestling fan, like regardless of how casually or seriously you watch, like everybody's got their own shitty opinions about it. Yeah, I, one thing that I was really surprised about was how many people watched or posted on my Facebook page about watching WrestleMania. So a lot of people, yeah. It was. Uh, it seems like for what I thought was going to be a pretty lackluster show, that at least people were somewhat interested in some of the matches. Uh, guy that we played World of Warcraft with, Luke. I've never heard Luke even mentioning pro wrestling once in his entire life. And he oh, watched I, WrestleMania. I mean, I've seen it mentioned it on Facebook, like, oh, yeah, this is why I don't watch wrestling. Wrestling's stupid. But then, like, all of a sudden, WrestleMania happens, and he's like, oh, man, this is awesome. But I feel like the pre-show, I, like, I'm really glad they moved the SmackDown women's match off the pre-show because it would have ended up, at, that being said, they probably would have gotten a little extra time because the match did seem kind of short later on. Yeah, but the the problem with it this, though, is that I really feel like they could have just done away with the Baron Corbin Dean Ambrose match because as much as I like Dean Ambrose, I thought that match sucked. I love Dean Ambrose. He's like one of my favorite wrestlers, but the match was horrible. And the street fight match that they had on raw was way better, but it wasn't even for the title. That should have been the title match. Yeah. I, and I was surprised with the whole buildup with the forklifts and everything that this wasn't sort of a street fight. But then I also assumed that AJ and Shane would be a street fight. And they said, no, that's not a street fight. We're just doing a straight wrestling match, so I, I feel like that they could have let let Ambrose and Corbin have more of a kind of crazy, you know, throwdown stuff going on. Well, they, they definitely could have. I mean, you could tell, like, I, th- I think Baron Corbin's going to be good eventually, but you could. T- I feel like Dean Ambrose got hurt at some point during that match, like legit, and Corbin really didn't know how to cover for it very well. Yeah. I think that was what slowed it down. Yeah, Corbin Corbin is going to be good one day. Uh, this was not that day. No, but uh, at, well, I think the next match after that was Styles McMahon, and holy crap, that was way better than I expected. Yeah, we did. We skipped over the cruiserweight and the the Andre oh, yeah. the Giant but cruiserweight match. Very good match. The battle was royal fun. was fun just because there's a wrestler named Mojo Rawley. And one thing that I liked is that the WWE subtly acknowledged that Mojo Rawley and Rob Gronkowski were friends like six months ago. They just happened to mention in passing that these two were friends. And that was actually Mojo Rawley got hurt. And Rob Gronkowski was actually the one that got him involved with WWE because, you know, New England, WWE's headquarters Mm -hmm. are in New England. So there's kind of that connection and yep. yeah, and Rob Gronkowski got Mojo Rawley into the Performance Center, and next thing you know, Mojo Rawley's a wrestler. Yeah, I mean, I, I like his gimmick. I think like there's, it's not very deep, but I don't know. I like the whole hyperist thing and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, but you know, seeing seeing Gronk in there, I mean, it wasn't. Uh, 
like when he got in the ring, it wasn't too like long. They didn't overuse him. It was just like he was there, and then boom, like okay, here's here's the end of the match. I'll be honest. You knew- I'll be honest. I was flabbergasted that the Patriots let him do that. Oh yeah, sure. I mean, there's got to be something in his con- especially because he's been injured so many times. Yeah, but. Yeah, but, like, you knew as soon as it was down to, like, Jinder Mahal and Mojo, like, you knew who was going to win. Like, there was no question about it because they had pretty much set that up. Like, it was pretty obvious. Yeah. But, uh, you know, still, it was entertaining enough. But, like you know, like I said, that Styles McMahon, I mean, that was way better than I thought. I mean, just amazing match. Yeah, it was a really, really strong match between the two. And, uh, again... You know, and I'll, I'll talk about this during the John Cena match, too. You know, AJ Styles is not a young man anymore. And no. he really only has a few more, like, top-tier five-star WrestleMania matches left in him. Uh, I'm not saying he's going to be retiring or anything, but those matches where you're just like, oh, my God, he does not have those many, many of those left. And no. I was very critical of one of those matches being against Shane McMahon. Mm-hmm. That being said, the match I thought they wrestled with the intensity of a nine when they should have been wrestling with an intensity of like a 30. Like it was a good inoffensive wrestling match, but I, this was like a blood feud. Yeah. And no, I, I, I didn't I agree. feel that, I didn't feel that intensity. No, there, there was a little bit of that lacking, but it was a very... I, th- I felt like it was a really physical match. Oh, it was. It like, was. I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I'm not saying it was a bad match. I really enjoyed that match. The match after that, the Raw women's match, not mm. so much. No, I'm, I'm over Bailey. Like, I don't know how people still think that she's, like, this amazing face or whatever. Like, she's, she's such a shitty heel. I just don't... Like... Bailey just irritates me. I don't know why. Like, uh, you know, she seems like a nice person in real life, but like the character of Bailey just seems horrible. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I thought was super funny in this match was, so originally when this match was conceived, it was a four way. Then when it was officially announced, like it had always been penciled in as a four way, but when it was officially announced, it was a three way and everyone's like, Oh, okay. I guess they just don't have faith in Nia Jax. Well, then the week after Nia Jax, got into the match, so it was a four-way. A minute and a half into this match, Nia Jax was pinned by all three women at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was kind of funny, too. And um, There was literally no point for Nia Jax to be in that match. No. No, she spent longer walking down the ramp than she spent in the ring. Yeah. Uh, Charlotte had an excellent part after they pinned Nia Jax where she's, like, trying to high-five Sasha and Bailey at the same time, and she's just... She's like smiling and she's all excited and she's like, yeah, we did it. We did it. And then she looks to her left and she sees Bailey and she looks to her right and she sees Sasha. And then she knows like she's about to get beat up and then they just start beating her up. It was super funny. Now, Charlotte's entrance was like heroic, man. That was a, that was really cool. I, I like the fireworks and just the, the peacock robe and all that stuff. I thought it was really neat. But, uh, you know, I, they had to let Bailey win and retain just so that she looked like more of a legit contender because I'm sorry, you can't look at Bailey and look at Charlotte and be like, Oh yeah, no, Bailey's could totally kick her ass. Like Charlotte's like twice her size. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was weird. And then after that one, we had the Kevin Owens and Chris Jericho. And again, 
much like the AJ Styles and Shane McMahon match, I felt like that this was a good match. Both guys were great, but they were wrestling at a 9 when they should have been wrestling at like a 30. Well, and we knew going into Mania that Jericho was going to take some time off after Mania, so I don't know if that has anything to do with it. Yeah. But because uh, he had to go on tour or whatever with his band, but I don't know. I'm, I I was over the whole Kevin Owens uh, Jericho thing a while ago. Like I I just I like Jericho a lot. I'm not as big of a fan of Kevin Owens, but the match definitely it it could have been a little better. Yeah, and I I think if um you know I I talked to one of my friends about this, and I feel like there is. There was just way too many matches on this show, and there was. And they, well, they had to they had to cut so many of them short. You know, yeah. Like I Wikipedia, I have Wikipedia pulled up. The longest match was twenty five minutes, and that's crazy to me. And which one was that? Uh, that was Rollins and Triple H was twenty five minutes. Now I I did enjoy that match though. That was that was fun, and you, you knew that Rollins was going to win. But but we're burying the lead here. And this probably didn't mean as much to you as it meant to me. But when the Hardy Boys music started playing, I went crazy. <laughs> and Yeah, that was pretty exciting. So just I'll give the quick rundown of the Hardy's career over the last like probably about seven years. So Jeff Hardy had a huge drug problem, left the WWE. Matt Hardy all of a sudden went like crazy and he started making these YouTube videos where he was basically like saying that he was suicidal and he was eating grapes and he was just being like super creepy. And so eventually the WWE let Matt Hardy go too. The two have more or less been in TNA since they have left the the WWE. And about a year ago they debuted new characters, which are called the broken Hardys where Matt has this like, stripe dyed into his hair and he talks with this like faux English accent and it's like it is absolutely insane the Broken Hardys there's a lot going on with the Broken Hardys I don't want to get too much into it right now but they so the characters that they were portraying it's weird because they were portraying their Hardy Boys characters that they did in the WWE but they are dressed like Broken Matt and Broken Jeff it was really strange to me but the whole audience was chanting delete, which is Matt's new catchphrase. And they were just going delete, doing the hand sign. I It was insane <laughs> yeah. how loud the delete chants were. The, the, it was funny, too, because the next day on Raw, when they came out, like the whole crowd was doing delete, delete, delete. And it's like, it just looks like they're all like Nazi saluting. And it's just, they need to be careful with that, well, probably. Uh, the delete, the hand signal for the delete chant is supposed to be straight out in front of you, like you're wiping it clean. You're deleting it. However, some people have started <laughs> in in their thrill of just putting their hands up in the air, are putting their hands up in the air while doing the delete movement, which looks conspicuously like a Nazi salute. Yeah, and you know, I was disappointed that uh, Enzo and Cass didn't, when I mean, it was cool to see the Hardys, obviously, but like, I just I love Enzo and Big Cass. They just make me happy. Let's talk about Enzo and Cass. So I was playing a WrestleMania Pick'em game, and one of the questions was, "How long is Enzo's promo gonna be?" <laughs> okay, so do you want to know what I guessed? Hmm. I guessed five minutes, because to me, and I don't know why. Now that I think about how long the show was and how short the matches were, like. 
I figured they were going to give him like five minutes of promo time. He got sure. a minute and 15 seconds to do his whole shtick. And that's a bummer, man, because like Enzo's the best promo guy in the business. I mean, yeah, he's, he's great. Yeah, Enzo's but very I mean, funny. It says here that the match was only 11.05, so it's like, like to have that big of a match where the Hardys come back and like have it end that quick, eh. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. But, same with the next one too. I mean, it was nine forty. Yeah, and that was supposed to, that was supposed to be a huge match. Daniel Bryan promised a what is a face punching extravaganza. Yeah, and so this goes back to what I was talking about with AJ Styles and Shane McMahon earlier. John Cena, also no spring chicken. John Cena only has a few like high profile WrestleMania matches, like AJ. I was so irritated when I first heard about this, you know, Miz and Maurice versus John Cena and Nikki Bella, because I thought it was going to be terrible. The build to this match was phenomenal. It was great. I was so excited for this match, and it the, so the under-delivered. Whole, no, the the bullshit Bellas or whatever they call it was, was Total really Total Bellas funny. bullshit was amazing. Yeah, that was yeah. really good. But, like, so there's a little bit more at play here. Because I don't know what you've read, but apparently, like originally, the Undertaker uh, basically said, "I want to, I want to wrestle Cena." It's, and then it, that, so that Undertaker was one of Cena's first real big opponents that he ever wrestled, and really, since John Cena has been on Raw, which John Cena came to Raw in like 2006, I think, and. But pretty much since he's been on Raw, he has never crossed paths with The Undertaker. I don't even think he's been in the same ring as The Undertaker in like 12 years. I mean, a match between those two is huge. Sure. Sure. And, uh, you know, the, the only reason that match happened was so that John Cena could propose. And I, I think that Nikki Bella legitimately had no idea. See, I don't know. I mean... I I am of the opinion that nothing happens in that ring that's not planned out, or at least somewhat planned out. Yeah. My theory is is that John Cena had said, "Hey, Nikki, let's get married." Somebody at the office heard about it and was like, "Oh my God, let's turn this into a storyline. It'll be great." And then that's where that's where the whole thing came from. But. It very well could be. I mean, you know, not that it means anything, but Cena did claim in an interview that uh, the only the only person who knew about it besides him was Vince. Yes. Well, I mean. But yeah, yeah. It's it's a it's wrestling, so who knows? But yeah, uh, yeah. But uh, you know, not a very exciting match. Oh, speaking uh, of not exciting matches, fuck fucking Randy Orton versus Bray Wyatt. I don't know what the hell that was. So well. So well, let's talk about Seth Rollins and Triple H though, because that, oh, that was the one did, we did skip. Yes, I'm looking at Wikipedia. Yeah, we so did like, skip that. You knew that Seth Rollins was going to beat Triple H, and there's no like, there's no way that Triple H is going to win that match. Yeah, but seeing first of all, Seth Rollins. I mean, if his if his knee injury, you know, is still legitimately bothering him, great job on his part, man. You couldn't tell he, at all. No, he but he got the shit beat out of his knee in that match. But the most important part of that match that I enjoyed was just seeing Stephanie McMahon get dropped through a table. Yeah, yeah, that was that was fun. 
it's always Stephanie is so good at being hateable, and it's always mm-hmm. nice to kind of see her get a, her comeuppance. Well, all the all the McMahons except for Shane. I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. People, everybody seems to like Shane, but yeah, Stephanie, man, that was just so satisfying. Especially the fact that Triple H is the one that knocked her through the table. Yeah, it was a it was a fun it was a fun little deal there. So yeah, so Randy Orton Bray Wyatt, their ring chemistry is horrible, and. At least, at least I feel like it. I'm. I don't like the whole Bray Wyatt gimmick. I, He's a good wrestler, but I hate his gimmick. I love. See, and I'm the exact opposite. I love Bray Wyatt's gimmick, and I can't stand Randy Orton. Uh, like, Randy Orton. Well, you know, he he really is kind of in the same boat though as like AJ and John Cena is like. He's getting old. Yeah, but but the thing is, is that Randy Orton in my opinion anyways is not the kind of person like Randy I could not think of like a single I mean I can think of decent Randy Orton Wrestlemania matches but there are no Randy Orton Wrestlemania matches where I'm just like that's a match you have to watch AJ Styles has matches like that John Cena has matches like that oh dude their their match at royal rumble was just insane four and three quarter stars by that asshole dave Meltzer because he refuses <laughs> to give five star matches to the wwe yeah but it was it was definitely a five star yeah yeah a four and three quarter star match for a wwe match is like probably a five and a half star match yeah i mean uh, randy orton you're just basically sitting around and you're like okay where's the rko coming like when's it happening yeah, and there was this crazy thing where Bray Wyatt would go into the corner of the ring and he would go to do his like little spider crawl that he does, and the cam there was a camera that was like directly over the ring, like looking down, and every time he would go into the corner of the ring, the lights would go out in the stadium and they would project an image of like maggots or worms and stuff like that on the mat. And oh, that was kind of neat. I-, I thought it was neat. It was so weird though. It was weird. It like it, it seemed it didn't it didn't seem natural at all. Like like oh let's just toss this shit in here. Like yeah. Like I feel I feel like some guy, you know, the day before when they're like setting up all the all the lighting and stuff, they were like, hey, we got this projector up here. Uh, what do we? Yeah. Let's see what we can do with this. Yeah, it just it came completely out of nowhere. Uh, the next match after that was Brock Lesnar versus Goldberg, and this was a fun match. This match was exactly what it needed to be and Mm -hmm. was not anything more than that it was basically four and a four almost five minutes of brock lesnar just beating the shit out of goldberg well and i mean like five minutes is like the combined ring time of goldberg for the last like decade and a half yeah that's true (laughs) it was uh, it was just, it was perfect. It was exactly what it needed to be. I loved it. I was so worried that they were going to try to stick him out there for like 20 minutes or something like that. But it was just, it was something like 20 suplexes, oh, a yeah. spear, a jackhammer, Brock kicked out, Brock hit the F5, pinned Goldberg, four and a half minutes, exactly what it needed to be. Yeah, and Goldberg's uh, thing the next night after Raw, it was good. I mean, you knew Goldberg wasn't going to win because there's no reason for him to hold on to the championship. Nope. And he, he wasn't going to stick around. And he retired. And I was perfectly okay with that. Yeah, I mean, you know, he didn't... 
it was it was a decent retirement. You know, he got his uh, he got his his time to go out there and say whatever he wanted to say and bring his son out and all that kind of stuff. So good good for him. Um, next match was the SmackDown Women uh, match, which I thought was pretty good. Uh, you know, considering how short it was, and it was uh, the, it was a surprise. It was a six pack challenge. It was five and a half minutes long. And let's just also throw this out there. I hate multi-person matches that are not elimination matches. I understand that you can't do it with every match, but I really, really hate first-to-a-fall matches like this. Like, the the Raw women's match was fine. It was an elimination match. is cool. This match, I just was not really, like, not really too fired up about, which no, is sad. But- yeah, yeah, it should it should have been better, but I was excited to see Naomi come back out. Oh, that entrance. That was great. Let's let's by the way talk about this goddamn stage. Do you know how long the ramp was? Oh, I I heard some figure like it looked really fucking long. It was 80 yards long. Jesus. This ramp so this ramp came, you know at a, a football stadium there's usually like the 100 level seats and there's usually kind of like some doorways and everything that are kind of under an overhang. Well, the Citrus Bowl has kind of a similar deal. The ramp started at the top of the 100 level and came out to about the 50 yard line where the ring was. It this this ramp was stupid. It was incredible though. It was all LED. It was amazing like this set well, was they did some cool stuff with crazy. it crazy yes like they did some like the uh is as crappily as the snake as randy orton's snake was animated it was a cool idea yeah yeah i meant to talk about that when we were talking about that match the ramp snake was was quite funny or uh in the next match roman's uh, uh you know lock and load whatever it is and like the fireworks going off all the way down the ramp yeah that was pretty cool but like it, I'm just glad because like when I saw how big that ramp was, I was like, "Oh my god, it's gonna take the Undertaker an hour to get into the fucking ring." Nope. But then I guess they had that little trap door for him about three quarters of the way down. Yeah. Which, yeah. Uh, like, again, again, in my pick'em, the question was, "How long is the Undertaker's entrance?" And I guessed ten minutes because I figured they were gonna give him the slow walk down the ramp, and they were gonna do like a. a like a package for him like they usually do and everything and nope but it was his ring entrance was about four and a half minutes yeah yeah and uh but good entrances overall though i'd say like yeah. the, the one that kind of like i was a little bit disappointed with was like seth rollins coming in like the the led stuff was cool but it just seemed like half thought out Especially when you consider like Triple H came in on a fucking trike with all the police motorcycles and all this other like dog and pony show, and it's like, oh, Seth Rollins has a torch, cool. Yeah. Okay. Like, yeah. Yeah. I I loved this crowd. Their reaction to Roman Reigns was just to boo him out of the building. It was is in- incredible. I hate Roman Reigns. I can't stand yeah. him. But my God, I've never seen anybody get a reaction like he does. And you know it's sad because like Roman Reigns is a good fucking wrestler, like as far as his wrestling ability goes. At least I think he is. I mean he's high, he's high energy. He's very physical. 
Like he's definitely built for it, but just the character development is awful. The the problem is is that when he came in in the shield, he had Ambrose and Rollins both who would work the bulk of the matches, and and then they would kind of tag him in towards the end. He would hit the spear. He'd hit the Superman punch. And the crowd loved him. Like, if you go back and watch some of those S.H.I.E.L.D. matches, especially, you know, like two to three months before they broke up, like, the crowd was firmly behind Roman Reigns and was, for a long time, firmly behind Roman Reigns. What happened, though, is that they just... The crowd wanted somebody else to win Wrestle... uh, They wanted Daniel Bryan to win WrestleMania that year because he had just come back. He didn't win... The crowd was upset, and unfortunately, Roman Reigns kind of caught the, you know, caught the tail end of that. And then just ever since then, they just booed him. Yeah, but you know, it, it's nothing compared to the heat that he got for beating the Undertaker. Oh my which, gosh! Okay, so people had uh, people thought this match wasn't that good in itself, and I guess when you're watching it for the first time, you know, if obviously everybody knows what happened now, but like. If you didn't know for sure, like, okay, The Undertaker's is his last match, then it doesn't make any sense. Because The Undertaker's just getting the living shit kicked out of him. There was a bunch of botched moves, like, that were super obvious. And to Roman's credit, like, he did a good job covering some of them. Um, The Undertaker just looked like an old man. Yeah. I I definitely think that that, that some of his stuff was planned to go a different way. I think that he was just beat the fuck up at the end. And. It was just like there was nothing left to do. Yeah, but like I, I liked the way that they framed it. Like, okay, there's this old guy. Like he's been a, just the fucking G holding it down forever, and like he's gonna give it everything he has for his last match. It was I, I enjoyed that. Um, and then you know you get the uh, the you know the music, the lights go down, takes off his hat, jacket, gloves, leaves him in the ring. And just walks out like a boss. And I can only imagine how hard that would be for, to do for him. Yeah. Uh, one notable th- one notable thing that did happen as well was that uh, he kissed his wife, Michelle McCool, yeah. on their way out too. And that's, you know... Kayfabe no-no. Yeah. Very unmarked Callaway to do something like that. But, you know, this is guy's last match, so whatever. And his, his exit was uh, so good. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. It was, it was so good. And the next night on Raw, when Roman came out and got booed for, like, no shit, probably 15 minutes straight. And I can't believe that they aired, like, what the crowd was saying, you know? It was just, like, they said, they were saying a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty nuts, the stuff yeah. that it was, um, it, it was pretty nuts, the stuff that the the crowd was saying. But apparently Very that was it, though. though. Very funny. Yeah, it, it was funny. But, like, the chant of thank you, Taker, I mean, it was just, it was so good. And, and then, then, that, then the, that chant morphed into, fuck you, Roman. Fuck you, Roman. Die, <laughs> die, Roman, die. Roman sucks. And then they would they would do the, Roman sucks. Roman yeah. sucks, like the New Day. I mean, yeah. It was just, it is insane. I've never seen anything like it. No, that crowd was definitely fired up. Like, the SmackDown crowd I thought was better. But, yeah. Like, they were actually having fun, and Beach Ball made an appearance at one point. Yeah. 
But uh, no, nah, I mean, I, you know, overall it was a good show. And uh, so, oh, what I was going to say, so apparently The Undertaker requested Cena for this last match. And Vince is the one who said, no, we need somebody to, you know, carry Roman again. Yeah. You know? And so, like, that's why The Undertaker and Cena didn't happen, which sucks. Like, I would have liked to see that. Yeah. I mean, that that's a, like I said, that was a match, that was a feud in, you know, John Cena's early career that, like, really, really helped him out a ton. And, uh, yeah, it was kind of sad that they never got their, like, awesome, you know, 30-minute hard-hitting WrestleMania match. Yeah, because, like, two guys with that much power, just, that would have been cool. And, like, I'm looking here, and it's got, like, the order of elimination from the uh, Battle Royal as well. Like, it sucks that Heath Slater went out so early. I was really hoping Don't Heath you Slater... Mean Pelvis Weasley? <laughs> I, I, I so... I, like, I actually bought this shirt. Like, the I Got Kids, I Need This Job. Like, it's just, his whole gimmick is so good right now. Like, uh, Marlene, we're getting a double wide or whatever it was. Yeah. Like, when he was so the, funny. When they won the, uh, when him and Rhino won, won the tag team title, yeah. He said they were going to get a yeah, double so, wide. So I was like, he he goes out. It's like, damn, that sucks. And then I'm just like looking around in the ring like, who's left? Like, I was at that point, I was hoping that Ziggler would win. Yeah. But they have no reason. I mean, Ziggler's just a jobber. So it's like, pretty much. Yeah. You know, Truer I mean, words were never spoken. Show. It sucks. Like you got to feel bad for the guy. You can't like doing that. But uh, whatever, you know, it worked out okay. But it was a good WrestleMania, yeah. and you know, like good, good Raw, good SmackDown, and with the shakeup coming, what next week? Um, Superstar, bit... yep. Superstar shakeup is going to be Monday night. Yeah, I'm a little bit upset that they're going to be breaking up like a really, really good SmackDown roster. But I think it's just strictly due to the fact that everybody realizes at this point that SmackDown is kicking Raw's ass lately, and they they need to move some stuff around yeah. for sure. The but, wrestling conversation is over. You, woo. We are now back to our regular scheduled peep show. Which at this point, which at this point really isn't anything. So if exactly. you're still listening, if you're still listening, feel free to contact us about uh, any of your wrestling comments, concerns, or whatever. And uh, it's too bad there's ooh. not a. It's too bad there's not an episode of Peep Show that has anything to do with wrestling. Yeah, I mean, not really. Not really. I mean, aside from uh, what's her name, choking Mark. <laughs> yeah, Valerie. Yeah, choking one. Yeah, Valerie. Yeah. But I don't know. Well, anyways. Anyway, yeah. If you're still listening, what we're definitely not going to do is play that fucking Pitbull song from WrestleMania because oh, I think we've heard that enough. Green light. Definitely heard that enough. So we'll figure something else out. But uh, thanks for listening. And uh, like I said, next week we or next podcast we got uh, episode six, last one of season one. So it should be a fun time. So appreciate you listening, and we'll talk at you next time. Have a great night. Bye.